Um, so, to Scripture. Um, I want to talk about Spirit-filled community. Um, we're talking through Acts, the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Acts and the words of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I want us to, to be looking again at Acts 2. We talked about it a bit last time. But uh, I, I was just going to refer to a, a book called The Upswing. I'm, I'm kind of a fan of Robert Putnam, who's written a number of things. Sociologist from Harvard. Um, he does a lot of data, a lot of minute things, like what percentage of rural kids were in 4-H and all kinds of things. And he, he puts these things together into four big curves. He's taking a big-picture look at America, okay, just America. But he's looking at it from the Gilded Age in the late 1800s to our current time. And the interesting thing is when he looks at four graphs that he kind of puts all these things together in four big pictures, he notices a trend. You'll see these four overlapping um, this graph that he's kind of put together all those different pieces of data. So what, what he says is this. Um, a great variety of measures show that on the heels of the first American Gilded Age came more than six days of Im six decades, sorry, of imperfect but steady upward progress toward greater economic equality, more cooperation in the public square, a stronger social fabric, and a growing culture of solidarity. Throughout the first two-thirds of the 20th century, we actually narrowed the economic chasm born in the Gilded Age, making progress. And he, he goes on and talks about each of those things. In short, America experienced a dramatic, multifaceted, unmistakable upswing. And then he says things changed in the late 60s, and in each of those measures, there's been a, a downward trend since the 60s. So I, I, sometimes people get you know, uh, riled up about what's happening in the news today. I like to zoom out and get the bigger picture. And what he's saying is what we're experiencing today and some of the tensions and so forth that we're experiencing today are not just because of a recent thing, the last few years or the pandemic or, or something else. They're actually a long trend. And he titles his book The Upswing because he's saying, you know what, we've been here before. And there was a upswing that people back in the late 1800s decided that they wanted things to be different and, and wanted to make some changes. Now, he says all of these factors influence each other so much and the different factors, you can't really pull them together. But he, he calls this big curve, he calls it the I-we-I curve. Because he feels like we went from a culture where it was all about I and the Rockefellers and, the, and the, everybody was into their own thing to a we kind of society and now to a I society. He has big chapters on how um, African Americans had a lot of progress but hadn't really been fully included in that we. That was part of the problem. Women also. But he says actually there's a lot of progress in those first years but then it, it hasn't actually kind of foot off the gas. It hasn't been that much progress since the 60s. But there was a lot of expectation about how the we was going to happen and a lot of things that... Um, anyway, so this is his... <clears throat> his contention, and I think he makes a pretty good argument. Um, but one of the factors that he mentions, he talks about how the church in those times, and, and, and ministers and theologians and others actually were part of pushing that upswing toward a different kind of society. And he tracks um, church membership, which also peaks at the same time as this. Church attendance actually peaks before this change comes about. So you could argue that maybe one of the leading indicators, maybe one of the causes was actually church attendance and participation and, and, and being part of the community of a church, but also impacting the world around. Other things peak also in 1960, like marriage rates and other things as well. But I, I, want, I want us to pay attention to that because I think sometimes we forget that we have an impact on society. And Society has an impact on us. The church impacts society. Society also impacts us in the way that we think about things. One of the things he says is that, and I've quoted this before, but he says, around 1960, people, or, or, as things changed, people changed from being religious communities to religious consumers. Now, that's my, my phrasing. He says, changed from being 
religious communities to religious or at least spiritual individuals. And I want you to think about that, that we have become a society where when we think about being a Christian, we think about an individual relationship with God, an individual communion with God, that are you saved means have you had a personal experience. And when we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I think we also think about a personal experience. Have you had the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit? And so I think it's, I'm so grateful for the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm grateful for speaking in tongues, which was one of the evidences of that in my life. We talked about that some kind of proclamation is often an evidence. Um, but one of the evidences I don't think we pay as much attention to is what difference does being Spirit-filled make for community? What is it, difference does it make to us being witnesses? When, when we say that we are filled with the Spirit so we can be witnesses, do we think about my evangelism to my neighbor, which is part of it, or do we think about how we, as a community, are a witness to those around us? I want to contend that Luke is saying when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were a different kind of community. All right? Um, so, let's, uh, let's go forward. I, I want us to watch this uh, Bible Project video on... Um, Acts 1 to 7, remind us of what happened with the uh, filling of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the book of Acts. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke. But Luke continued the story in a second volume, called the book of Acts. And it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. But that was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus's body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. 
This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. But it wasn't all fun and games. Being God's temple is serious business, just like in the Old Testament. So you might know about that strange story in the book of Leviticus about two priests who disrespect God in the temple and then suddenly die. Well, Luke includes here a similar story of two disciples who dishonor God's spirit in this new temple, and they suffer a similar fate. So there's corruption in the community, but the bigger problem is coming from the outside. Yeah, from the other temple. Its leaders are threatened by this new messianic movement, and so they arrest the apostles, they try to stop them. And this brings us to the final story in the Jerusalem section of Acts. We're introduced to a new disciple, Stephen. Oh yeah, Stephen, he's on fire. He steps up as a leader among the disciples to serve the poor, and he would go to the temple courts to teach people about the way of Jesus. So the temple leaders arrest Stephen, and they find false witnesses to accuse him of dishonoring Moses and of being a terrorist who's threatening the temple. In response, Stephen gives this powerful speech about how predictable this whole situation was. Yeah, he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting characters like Joseph, Moses, and the prophets, people who are consistently rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel's been resisting God's representatives for centuries, and so their rejection of Jesus and now of his followers is a rejection of God himself. They get angry, and they start to execute him by picking up rocks and smashing him to death. And as he's dying, he commits himself to the way of Jesus, to suffer because of the sins of others. He even cries out, Lord, don't hold the sin against them. This is basically what Jesus said at his death. Exactly. Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Jesus movement. Many more to come. But this persecution contains seeds of hope which is why Luke introduces us to a new character here, a religious leader named Saul. He stands over Stephen's dead body and even approves of the whole thing. Wait, Saul, you mean the man who becomes the apostle Paul? Yes, Luke is showing how even this tragic murder can't stop Jesus' kingdom. And so many persecuted disciples scatter out of Jerusalem, and just as Jesus said, they head into Judea and Samaria. Now, the story of what happens there that's what the next section of Acts is all about. All right. So I said we were getting a, a big picture when we looked at Putnam's discussion of America from 1875 to now. That's not the big picture. That's a little picture <laughs> of what God has been up to and what people have been up to. And it's this is much more the big picture. And you notice that Luke is even connecting his little picture, his talking about what happens on the day of Pentecost, with a much bigger story. Sometimes we talk about this as the birth of the church. Yeah, not exactly. The, the people of God started with Abraham, and they were confirmed in a covenant at this Mount Sinai. So this is 2,000 years old already. What Peter is saying when he gets up to speak about this, is this is what Joel predicted. So he says this is what was there in the Old Testament, and this is what happened with Jesus. And Peter is always making it about Jesus. If you hear Peter preach, he's always saying this is what the, the, was foretold by the prophets, and this is what is happening now. Jesus came, lived, ministered, was a human who did a miraculous things. He died. He was resurrected. He is now ascended to the throne, and he is coming back. And his sending of the Holy Spirit is evidence that he's there doing the work that's happening right here, right now. And then Peter gives people an invitation to respond to that. It's a very interesting invitation because he tells these Israelites, who are part of the people of God, that they need to repent. Turn around. And they need to be baptized. Baptized? I mean, they're already circumcised. They're already part of the people of God. But baptism was reserved for people who were becoming part of the people of God. Gentiles who decided to become Israelites. But Peter's saying, no. You need to enter in 
to the remnant, the true people of God, the, the, the people of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who we've been anticipating. You see, this is not the beginning of the church, of the people of God. This is the faithful fulfillment of that. When, and he keeps pointing out different things, like when he says, there were no poor among them because they shared. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 15, the promise that when they followed the works, the, the law, the, the covenant, they would be a people who had no poor among them. So Peter is making his point, or Luke is making his point about how this is the covenant community. This is the true Israel, the remnant of who have now become the people of God. Okay? You with me? Spirit filling has corporate effects. And I think our understanding tends to be a little tainted. Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, that generation was corrupt. There's been a lot of corrupt generations since. <laughs> and it's, our generation is corrupt in its own way. And one of the things is the I focus of our generation. You hear all the stories about how I discovered myself. Even oh, now I'm dating myself to find out who I am, right? Um, the, this this self-focused, I have to choose who I am going to be and self-help and um, people discovering that all, all these stories of liberation to be my individual self from all the community obligations or the, the sense of rules or oppression by the group. Isn't that kind of the story we tend to tell? Sometimes we even tell it about church. That I was liberated from that church into being a new kind of church, and we, and we keep telling the story of how we, we get to be liberated and free, but often it isn't really freedom. It seems like the more free we get, the more selfish we get. <laughs> the more self-focused we get, the more sin we get. Because freedom often leads to sin when, uh, when we have it. So in spirit-filling, these are the keys for Luke. We talked about last time the spirit of Jesus fills. This is Jesus acting for mission to the nations so we can be witnesses to the nations. And the result is proclamation. Prophecy broadly considered. That can be tongues, that can be preaching, that can be um, visions and dreams. And he says, all of your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men and your young, old and young and different genders and everybody is going to be part of this. That is a new thing. It's not just the kings or the judges or the warriors who are to bring justice like the judges did or like David did or, or like prophets did. That everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit and, and proclaiming and with power. Power to do this new thing. We need power, right? To accomplish this kind of thing in our will take a special power that we don't have. And that's one of the things I want us to pay attention to. The first thing I want you to get in your heads is not only is this a community thing, a corporate thing, not just an individual thing, but we can't do it. It's not up to us. It's a result of the Spirit of Jesus filling us. And I see the results of the Spirit of Jesus filling us when I look around this community. I see relationships. I see individuals. I see people being changed. Now, admittedly, I'm a kind of a perfectionist. I'd like to see more. But I see things happening. So here is how Peter, um, Peter ends his, his thing by saying, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. He doesn't... Take it easy on people, he says, with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him. He nails them by saying, you nailed him to the cross. 
He says, but Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. We are witnesses. And now he's exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. He is the king. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, who you killed, to be both Lord and Messiah. And they say, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So he doesn't lay up on that they've sinned, that they've rejected the one messenger, God himself. But then he says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. That means generations as well as geographically and ethnically different. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Again, this is God's work. With many other words, he warned them. By the way, when you read the speeches in Acts, they're accurate reflections of what was said, but they're Luke's summary. I mean, this would take like two minutes <laughs> to read, to actually speak. He used many other words. Uh, they're, they're accurate summaries, but they are summaries. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So here is church growth happening. Um, but it's happening in, a, in, a, in a multiple kinds of ways. Let's read the next part where I want to focus. They devoted themselves. I want to just pay attention to that word right there, devoted you know people who are devoted to something? These days, people, I people tend to be devoted to a lot of things. I won't go into what people are devoted to, but I tend to see people often dabbling and not devoted, especially when it comes to church. People are dabbling. People are creating sometimes their own version of spirituality, and, they, and they're dabbling with this. Let me try this, and let me try that, and let's do a little bit of this. These people were devoted. You see the difference? And have you noticed the difference when somebody is devoted to something versus when they're dabbling in something? When they have a long, continuous obedience in the same direction, it changes things. When they dabble in something, yeah. You've seen people who've dabbled at an instrument, right? And you've seen people who've been devoted to an instrument. So Jeremy is devoted to the violin. And you can tell the difference between somebody who dabbles at the violin. Right? Um, these people are devoted to what? The apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to koinonia. That word koinonia means, comes, it means koinonia means, means common, the things in common. It, koinonikos means generosity. So it's this having things in common and being devoted and in it together. And to the bread and to prayer, to eating their meals, including the Lord's Supper. So they devoted themselves Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's that word coining. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They made sure that nobody was in need. They didn't just put it all in the same pot. But whenever need, they said, well, what do we have? Um, possessions. So in other words, they, they gave their land. And they gave their possessions. This wasn't just from income. A lot of us are like, well, I'll give 10% of my income. But my house, don't touch. My stocks, don't touch. Don't touch my capital. I'm building that for my retirement, right? They gave from their capital the things that they lived off of, like their land. They were not because they were trying to get rid of it, just because this person's hungry. She's one of us, and I'm going to make sure that this widow eats, even if I have to sell my land. Um, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want you to look through either up here or in a translation that you have in front of you and tell me, find some words that are, that are um, repeated. Shout them out. Daily. Okay. Together. Yes. The is repeated a number of times. Good point. Yep. They ate together, yeah. Yep, everyone, everything, every day, and you're getting close to one other one that's there several times. You mentioned together, yep. All, yes. So, once repeated, there, I didn't actually remember that one, but um, all is included. The focus is that all of them were together. And remember now, at the day of Pentecost, they said, these 120, they're all from Galilee. How come they're speaking our languages? Remember? So these are people from all over the world who are now, who are Jews, but they had come there, or, or God-fearers, whatever, they had come there to worship for Pentecost. Now all of them are participating in this. Luke emphasizes that it's all of them. It's not just a special few. They're really committed the, the spiritual ones, all of them. And it's not just a particular group. You, you following me? All is so critical to this passage. Together is so critical. They were doing all of these things together. They weren't just worshiping on their own. They weren't just praying in their closets. They were praying together. They were worshiping together. They were eating together. They were studying the apostles' teachings together. You following me? This is not just individuals who are spirit-filled, who are all excited and reading all their, the latest books on it and listening to the latest uh, podcast on it, these are together. They're forming this community out of people who are from all over the place. Remember, we talked about this Babel reversal and the table of nations in Acts 10. All those people from all over are come, have come to this place and the Spirit is making a new people out of all of them together and it's daily they're worshiping praying eating and reaching out god is adding to their number daily now notice it's jesus that's saving people the lord is saving people we don't save people we can't create a chart about how we're gonna grow people and we're gonna add 10 people each week and blah 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 jesus saves people Right? But Jesus was adding to their number daily. And what they were doing was part of how he was doing that. And notice that they're meeting in small groups. They're eating in homes together. They're also eating in the temple. Right? Worshiping and praying in the temple. So a couple things maybe we could think from that. Sometimes people are like, you know, um, I go to church, and, and that's good. And people are like, no, no, you need to be part of a small group so you can really get to know people, and some people can be part of it, or, or maybe a ministry focused together, or maybe the prayer team or, or something so you can get to know people and people can really interact with your life. Yes. And then other people are like, you know, I'm in this small group, and, and that's where I really get my nourishment, but I don't really need to go to corporate worship because, you know, that's just kind of a big thing, and I don't get a lot out of that. These people are doing both daily. They are 
eating together in homes, and they are worshiping together in the temple. And also, they're not like, interesting, they're not like, oh, the temple's passe, man, we got a new thing going on now. We got this spirit-filled thing that we don't need to go to that temple anymore because it's done, it's over. They're still part of what was. And sometimes we get excited about a new thing. And we say, oh, this is the thing. Forget about all that old church stuff. We're, we're, we're into the new thing now. This is, and we've called it so many different things through the years. I won't even begin to put labels on it. But, oh, the old church is, is so passe. But they are with God, and they are transforming what's happening in the temple. Now, the leaders of the temple have some problems with this. We've talked about that clash of temples in the, in the video, but there is a transformation happening there. Um, so I want you to see that they're devoted both to a bigger corporate worship, prayer, expression, and a small, intimate eating together, learning together in homes. Following that? You with me? Here's the other thing that I find from this passage. Happens sometimes. Luke is showing that these people are fulfilling what the Old Testament promised. And then we, he's showing it as an ideal community where they're, where they're fulfilling this. Now, of course, the Ananias and Sapphira thing, and the, you know, it's not all ideal. But here's what happens. Sometimes we can get so excited about this, we're like, yes, when I find that church, I'm going to be so devoted to that church. But I'm still looking. So, I don't know, this Sunday, maybe I'll check that out. But there's this favorite broadcast or podcast that I have, because that preacher, wow, he's amazing. But they're not devoted to a people. It's not about the preacher, folks. It's not about me. It's not about the worship team. It's about a community. And you know what? Every community I've ever been part of has problems. My dad used to tell the story, I think it was E.C. Erickson, maybe somebody else. He met somebody, you know, you, you haven't been around very much lately. It's like, yeah, well, you know, kind of looking for that perfect church, basically. It's like, oh, well, that's a, if you find it, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. That's the problem. I mean, if I did find the perfect church, I'd probably want to join it, and then it'd be a mess. I wouldn't be perfect anymore. So that's the difficulty of sometimes this passage, is we look at all of this great stuff, and we are like, oh yeah, but you know, the church now is just not that. But now this new thing, we're, 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 it's going to be amazing. And then it turns out the new thing has people in it too. Sinners even. Maybe spirit-filled sinners who've been saved, but they're still sinners. And the more utopian it gets, sometimes the more oppressive it gets. <laughs> right? So I want to encourage you to commit to the community that God has put in front of you. Because he puts you there for a purpose. And there may not be people like you, like who you really jive with there. That's probably because he needs you there. What's happening right now is that people are self-sorting into... I'm going to go to this church that's really a lot like me and thinks a lot like me and, and people are like me. And then I, I feel liked. And we're doing that at all kinds of levels. Whether it's urban, suburban, politics, rural, ethnicity, race. Um, we're, and we're trying to find a people who are like us. All of them from all over the world... We're getting together with these Galileans and figuring something out. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the power of the Holy Spirit isn't doing something, it's going to be a real mess. But I believe the power of the Holy Spirit's doing something right here and has been doing something for the 40 years that I've been connected to this congregation. Now, I've had some breaks going to Africa and stuff, but uh, God has been doing stuff. We're in a new season. God's doing new stuff. I don't know what it's going to be like to be a digital church and how we are together as a digital church and how we get to have you in the digital church really be committed volunteers and, and commit to this thing. But we need to figure out how to do church together in this time that moves toward this stuff. Okay? Eugene Peterson was uh, not the only one, but famous about... Somebody was writing about how he, he was, Eugene Peterson was one of his spiritual directors. He's like, I, I, you know, I'm going to this church, but the worship's really lousy, and the, and the preaching is pretty so-so, and the whatever, and Eugene said, stay there. And Eugene it was part of a church that never grew to more than 300 people or so, and he was, you know, people were like, oh, you write great books, but you're not a great preacher. And he just committed there for 30-some years. You don't get the benefits of family without being part of the family. And you don't get the benefits of family unless you show up for meals. And the more meals you show up for, the better it is. And the more fed you get. And yeah, you know what? You're probably not going to be like, oh wow, it was just this amazing meal today. It was just like awesome. Supper was just this, this experience. No, it's probably just going to get you through the day until breakfast. And, you know, coming together here or with your small group, there's only going to be some times when you're like, wow, that was such a meal. A lot of times you're going to be like, yeah, I'm fuller than I was when I came, I think. Right? Something amazing has happened in this church for 90 years. And I've watched 40 of it. And it's just God doing stuff with really us, you know? Just us. So um, this is not new stuff. You notice the date here? 2012, kingdom culture. Um, I, w I was a little debating about this, partially because I was in Africa. I didn't necessarily like the kingdom culture labor. Maybe it should be kingdom cultures. Because I think there's a lot of different ways that this gets expressed. But the reason we said kingdom culture was that there are some commonalities in the cultures that this gets expressed in. We have an all-nations family of churches with seven different congregations, and you know what? Things are different in each of those congregations, not just in language. But these characteristics are taking place because the Spirit is working in all those languages, in all those cultures. And around the world as well. So, um, and now it's 2021 and a year for healing community, a year for bringing us to this community by the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it's got that cross that Andy didn't really intend to put in there, but it, it's there. It's going to be some laying down of our own preferences. Um, but it's going to be a flourishing so kingdom culture, what we talked about then was living truth, devoted to the apostles' teaching, koinonia, that commonness, that, that sharing covenant, the, 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 the meal together, dependence on God, awe at what God was doing, generosity, sharing with one another and others. Joy is a sign of this kingdom culture. Multiplication, this church grew. And legacy and treasury, treasuring one another. Just a reminder from 2012. So this isn't new stuff. We're a house of prayer for all nations. That stuff is in there, right? They're this, the house of God, the temple, Bethel, the house of God. We are that house of prayer. That's one of the things they were doing all the time. For all, all nations. It's hospitality. Prayer, all nations, 
It has growth. Notice that they had growth, as we've just been talking about, in this spiritual depth and togetherness. And that, reads, that was part of the ethnic diversity of the all, these people from all over who were speaking all kinds of languages, getting together. And then, yes, there was growth in numbers. Now, let's be honest. The church in America is shrinking. I didn't show you the, the church attendance chart, but the church attendance chart, you know, there weren't that many people attending church in 1776, actually. The 1700s, there was some great awakening, some things happened, things continued. And yes, 1960 was the peak, or actually attendance was early 50s. It's been declining ever since and pretty steeply now. So we're not seeing like amazing church growth of brand new believers in our day in America, though we are in the world. Tanzania was 120 churches, it's 300 in, in just in the north, northwest Tanzania, where, where, where things are happening, population growth as well as people getting saved. But around the world, the church is growing. And God is doing stuff. But it starts with the Spirit doing that spiritual depth and togetherness. When the Spirit does stuff among us. So I want us to look at trying to summarize this. There's eight things that's hard to remember, right? So the foundation, we say we're true to the Word and alive in the Spirit. The Spirit-filled congregation needs to be true to the Word. They were built on the foundation of the prophets. This is fulfilling the prophets, and they were paying attention to the apostles' teaching about who Jesus is. And listen, folks, if you leave this church, I pray that you leave because we're not being faithful to the Word. Okay? Don't leave because somebody disagrees with some other thing that's not central. You following me? Don't, let's not sort ourselves by our other persuasions. Let's say, is this heresy or not? And let's learn from each other in the differences we have about how we understand this. This is devoted together to the Word of God. We want to be true to the Word and alive in the Spirit, helping us understand this word. So that is the arrow down, all right? The foundation is that we're true to the word. And then up, they were in worship, in prayer, and in relationship with God, regularly, daily, all the time, and together. And in, in love. So... Um, can follow the diagram here. We've got a, a foundation of true to the word in, in sharing, in loving, in making sure there were no poor among them, in eating together, in doing things together that created a commonality. And then, and worship up, praising God, connected with God, praying to God because it's all about God. And then the Lord added to their fellowship, to their koinonia, those who were being saved. The Lord added. Jesus does the work of bringing people from outside. In fact, this is all Jesus' work. Let me say that again. This is not, okay, people, work harder. Come more. Do stuff more. Let's do it. We can't do it. <laughs> it's about the Spirit of God doing this. Yes, we have a response. We can be devoted these things, but the Spirit of God is what has to make this diverse group of us into some kind of community. The fact that we are is what Jesus is doing. The fact that we've persevered through the pandemic and not being able to meet all together for six months and all the other things that have happened is because the Spirit of God is doing something. We're out to blessing the nations, to reaching the nations. But notice, too, that they were added to their fellowship, those who were being saved. Just to be clear, that people weren't like, they prayed a prayer, and they got saved. And that was it. It was corporate. They were added to the koinonia. They were added to that togetherness and sharing and being together. So... There weren't people who were in the church who weren't unsaved. It wasn't a nominal thing. But also, there weren't people who were saved who weren't part of the church. 
Are you following me? We have, we have put so much emphasis on individual salvation and said things, well, just because you're in the car, just because you're in the garage doesn't make you a car. And said all this stuff that makes it sound like you can just be an individual religious consumer or maybe just spiritual. You can't live the Christian life by yourself any more than you can be part of a family by yourself. Somebody tells me they're Erasmus, and I say, oh, who's your father? What table do you eat at? If they say, well, not, not nobody really. I just became Erasmus and kind of on my own. What? You don't have brothers or sisters or parents or anything? How did you get to be Erasmus and with no relation to anybody else? So you don't have to be part of this church. If you're online, you don't have to be part of this church. But be part of some church. Be part of some family and meet together in some small groups and some big groups and I don't know how it works out. We're going to reinvent it in 2021. No, we're not going to. The Holy Spirit is going to do new stuff through us in brand new ways in 2021 that he has not done before. Just like he was doing here, something brand new that was still the people of God, spirit-filled, Christ-centered. And he's doing it. I see it. Even though it's bumpy and sometimes it's, not that not perfect, but you all are amazing because the Spirit of God is working through you, and you may not even notice it. And we're more likely to notice the places where we don't live up to what we hope, at least if you're a perfectionist like me. But God's doing something. He's doing something in our day, in our world, even here in St. Paul, and we're part of it. By his spirit, we've been added to the number of this original people of God. The nations were coming to the temple. They were coming. I want you to be reminded that in the Old Testament, they created this community of justice and love. And I, I, this is referring back to our old thing of just relationships with God, with each other, with creation. And the, the other nations with their idolatry and oppression of the poor were supposed to notice Israel and become who they were, how they lived together, what kind of community they were, what kind of nation they were, and they were supposed to be attracted to that. But in this time, this new temple is a new people of God that now is being sent out to the nations. The fire is on that temple. That community is a, temp is a community of love, and justice with God, not idolatry. Justice with each other, not oppression of the poor, taking care of everybody's needs. And justice with, with uh, creation. And love together. And people are going to notice us being that. Let's be honest. There are lots of spiritual and religious individuals who outdo us. Me. But the church is amazing. <laughs> and we want to be witnesses how we are together. How Look at how they love one another. People are supposed to notice that. People are supposed to see what kind of community they are. And, and they're supposed to notice that we also forgive each other and look, overlook some difficulties. And, and they're supposed to say, how do those people even get along? They're so different. Right? We're supposed to be different from the nations and going to the nations. Jesus is making BCF his spirit-filled community. So I just want us to, uh, as, as the worship team comes, we are going to have some, some time of prayer and um, discussion in the in the uh, in the um, prayer room and in the my office after service but I also want to open up the altar for those of you who might want to pray if you want to pray individually just come and kneel here if you want to pray 
with some others. I'm going to ask the elders to come up. And uh, Pastor Mike, if you'd come up. Um, and, and I want us to be ready to pray together as well. And I, you may or may not remember this song, but if you would just stand and sing with me this old song to cap off our 10 days of preparing to be this community. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. to sing that us, okay? And did you want to give me a, a, a key so I can sing in an actual key? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, the Father who loves you, Jesus who came for you, the Spirit who creates this community, go and bring that fire to your community. Amen.